listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. And I'm Evie. We've got Isaac in our ears coming up with mathematical proofs for everything factual that we say. And <laughs> Lang is out on assignment this week, but joining us from the Ozpol Snack Pod podcast, it's noon. Hey, man. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's very exciting. Oh, it's a delight. I knew I was going to uh, love your show because the first time I listened to it, someone was making some kind of like good political analysis and then it sort of veered off into swearing about Michaelia Cash. Uh, and I was just like, fuck, fuck, exactly. These are my people. This this is going to go well. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. No man, thanks for coming on. It's um, it's it's been really cool to see just this the cropping up of a whole bunch of left leaning Australian podcasts. I mean, admittedly, in the in the Melbourne region. Um, yep. But it's just it's just it seems like in the last maybe eighteen months everyone's brain has just broken to a degree. We're like, what the fuck are you doing? I've, and then and th- at least for us, it was, I've, I've gone to all the protests. I donate all the money. I do as much organizing as I can. What the fuck else can I do? Um, uh, b- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think for me and Zach, it was really like Bill Shorten losing the election. Not that either of us were super invested in labor being saviors yeah. or whatever, but just like, Oh, we can't even get a mediocre, slightly progressive <laughs> candidate. Like this system is, deeply fucked yeah it just makes you sort of lose it and just go oh fuck (laughs) what what more else and like uh, like how how did this all go so wrong yeah Yeah. what 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 state are we in in this country when someone like bill shorten can get to the top of the opposition party and then lose an unlosable election Oh, fuck. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. Scott Morrison comes out with that big, weird, toothy grin that was hiding the, the the obvious fear in his eyes where he's like, I didn't want to win. And he's like, oh, how good's Queensland? Like, oh, yeah. no, I've got a podcast about this. Yeah, but Mitch, <laughs> did you hear that Bill Shorten called Scott Morrison a cuck? <laughs> no, it was a simp. It was a simp. <laughs> it was amazing. No, yeah. it was a simp. <laughs> it was on, on he's national TV. He's going to call him a cuck. <laughs> Today of recording. <laughs> Bill Shorten mate, got on TV again and it was the most stilted, horrible, like, I, I think when it comes to Donald Trump, Scott Morrison needs to not be a <clears throat> simp. And the host was like, what's a simp? And he's like, oh, you know, weak. <laughs> it's like, man, I, really, I did like his backtrack, though. Not, not so much backtrack, backtrack, but like, you know, what is simp? And he's like, ah, soft. Yeah. <laughs> That's not really-, <laughs> not really what it is, though, is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking Scott Morrison is. This is me doing uh, Bill Shorten on Insiders. Fucking Scott Morrison just sliding into people's DMs constantly. What is uh? What's the? Are oh, you know soft? <laughs> <laughs> so in coronavirus news, but really this section is just the government and media are idiots news. Uh, the. <laughs> We've talked before about how part of the uh, reason that the the second wave in Victoria has hit um, and general difficulties with the, the health response in Australia has just been a communication response and failing to account for the fact that some people don't speak English. Uh, that's That's been a, a bit of a driver of the outbreak. And uh, it's turned out we've just got another example of the, the coronavirus information from the government wasn't available in most languages for ages. They've put some out, but people have been looking at this and they've found a few cases where the translated coronavirus info is actually just some gibberish that <laughs> that looks like Arabic text. When you say people when you say people looking at it, you do mean people that just speak the language, yeah? Yeah. They, they didn't have any of them you know, around when they were putting the document together, I suppose. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember when the second wave started and um, people in, like, the Hun and um, other columns were just bringing their hands about people having religious uh, gatherings? And uh, it just makes me, like, a less generous person would say that it feels like it's linked, like, almost like it's a deliberate attempt to have them be the fell the fall guys for it well we saw something similar with the towers when the tower lockdown happened that yeah. they didn't prepare any kind of other like language other than english information and there was a huge crowdsourced effort of just like random people in the community to get that information out and it was like oh cool so you can get like hundreds of police to like terrify people but you can't get one fucking arabic speaker to check that you're not actually writing gibberish nonsense exactly just proofread yeah it's outrageous the, uh, the, the, there's a good reason for it though guys there's a good reason for it it's okay they, oh <laughs> good, oh, good. Oh, here we go here we go the excuse that a spokesperson for the federal department of health 
gave regarding the error in the Arabic translation. They, they said <laughs> the error in the Arabic translation happened when the document was uploaded to the website. It was a technical glitch <laughs> uh-huh, that, uh-huh. that translated Arabic into Farsi. You know when you just like accidentally press Control-Shift-S instead of Control-S in Microsoft <laughs> Words and it just translates random sections of your document into other languages? That anyone could make that mistake. Like the, the idea that the website just was running on a, an old update that didn't have some parts of the language. It's like, oh, it just did its best to try. What the fuck are you talking about? This is just, this is yet more Angus Taylor nonsense of just like, oh, it was on the website. That means nothing. Do yeah, you know but what, what are you going to do? This is like when people in IT, they know that like if they're talking to someone who's not in IT yep. um, and they want to make up like a shit excuse just to like account for why something wasn't done in a certain way, they'll make up sound- something that sounds really techy. except in this case, <laughs> the IT people have just like passed it up the chain so now it's an official comms excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the old, like, I don't know if this is an old, uh, everybody did this uh, school getting out of an assignment for a few days uh, technique, but when you, like, just rename a JPEG or an MP3 to dot .doc and then email that to your teacher, <laughs> and then when it, like, just opens up as gibberish, but, oh, I must have emailed ah. wrong. I studied tech and even I tried that. And ah. I, I never had anyone call me out, just be like, that doesn't happen. That's a genius move. I can't believe I've never done that. that- I've never heard of that. <laughs> Well, so if there if there are any teenagers listening to the pod, uh, there's too much swearing, and you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, there's um, too much no, swearing. <laughs> Fuck off. Now this this is this is a pretty common mistake. I think this Control Shift S in Microsoft Word because clearly the Australian has done that as well, uh, <laughs> where they ran a front page headline saying that internal government data suggested that there was going to be a thousand new cases a day in Victoria. Uh, but yeah, obviously a minor technical glitch uh, there where, you know, they pressed uh, control shift S and lied about a bunch of shit. In, uh... <laughs> That's the hotkey for lying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that they, um, on this front page, there was a graph that they included that seemed to suggest that the peak in Melbourne would be coming uh, pretty soon and would be up to a thousand cases a day. Front page news, panic buy toilet paper, quick. And what uh, Media Watch pointed out on the ABC was that that graph bears a startling resemblance to a graph made by an amateur guy on Twitter who just liked dabbling in numbers and posting stuff. The Australian said that they had internal government data from a quote-unquote source that suggested the numbers. This This graph was made by a guy on Twitter who knew it was his graph because after the peak, there was one day that had this abnormal spike in it. And that was in this graph because he did the numbers wrong and only realised after he published it. It was a typo when he was doing data entry. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it was a typo. And the Australian left it in. And then when Media Watch pointed this out to the Australian and said, what the fuck is this? They went, no. (laughs) <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> they haven't identified this alleged source as well, have Absolutely they? Absolutely not. They just said, oh, yeah, it's just one of our sources. Like, they know they'll get away with it, so. The thing that's wild to me is that it isn't the same graph. Like, it, it's it's the same data, but the graph, like, with including the typo and everything, but, like, the colour scheme is different and They've the design is different. They've got a graphic designer like, to do it. Yeah, it's great. They, they, they sent the, the, the bunk graph to a guy and were just like, yeah, just, like, make this look nicer, which, uh, you know... Come on, Australian, at least don't, you know, burn your anonymous fake source by shitting on his graphic design skills as well. Like- <laughs> but yeah, just the idea that, like, we've got to cover our tracks with this very blatant lying. What can we do? I'll invert the colour scheme. That'll throw him off the case. Yes. <laughs> Dennis Shanahan's reply, his response yeah. is so funny. It makes no sense. So Dennis Shanahan is the Australian's Canberra Bureau Chief and Political Editor at The Australian, and he was reached for comment. And <laughs> can I, I just want to read this in full. I mean, maybe not in full, at least a little bit. Good Christ, this rambling on the piss response makes no sense. <laughs> he definitely did it like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> Without disclosing any sources, I cooperated fully with the Premier's office in several phone calls this morning. I also pointed out to them, as I do to you now, that the graphic image on the front of The Australian was not a reproduction. All right, that's weird because, like, at the very least, he's saying that um, even if we believe their blatant lies that they had a source, like, they're reproducing something, right? Like, I mean, even if it's not a stolen image, I don't know. Yeah, like, what he's saying is his whole point is that the graphic image on the front page of The Australian was not a reproduction. It was not reproduced from somewhere. So if there's another technical way that you can say it wasn't a reproduction, it was a, 
collage. It was a uh-huh, uh-huh. it was a trace job, like I, I and then but then he goes on to lie and says MetaModern or its founder uh, were not my source. Um, I'm aware of all sorts of debates about statistics and have been in contact with some academics today who have views on the corona, Victorian coronavirus case figures. What does that have to do with it? What does this that last have paragraph? To do this with is the this? last paragraph of his response. <laughs> there is debate about the roller coaster, the three day peaks, time lags, and the effect delays in reporting are having. Full stop, what end of sentence, end of f- comment. End, end of statement. It's so silly. This is end amazing. Media. <laughs> there really feels like there's at least a couple sentences missing there. He's like, there's debate about this. Bye. <laughs> yeah, it's it's utterly incredible. But just the the gormless nature of anyone that works at the Australian. There was also the, the thing about the racist cartoon this week. Fuck that, we don't have time for that. Oh, but like, yeah. at yeah. this stage, I don't know how anyone... Like, you've got senior journos at the ABC also defending them and calling, you know, c- calling for the honourable journalists at the, at the Australian to keep up the good work <laughs> or, you know, cast out the apostates that do some racist stuff that's blatant, that's hard to defend. Like, fuck up, at this point, the Australian is just a lie-filled propaganda rag and everyone that works for it is morally bankrupt and corrupt. I don't, I, they, they, and that's not even me being hyperbolic in my mind but because I'm an extremist. But, like, I don't know <laughs> how you can defend this. I don't know how journalists can't just go, Dennis Shanahan, shut the fuck up and go away forever. Yeah, they're all part of the same ecosystem. And, like, yeah. normally, mm. yeah, I would give some sort of uh, leeway in that because, you know, journalism is an increasingly diminishing field in Australia. You know, there's multiple outlets that are closing at each time and everyone needs to get a job somehow. But, this, like, actually being part of that ecosystem in the Australian is continuing this sort of propaganda. And it's it, it feels morally bankrupt, as you said. Yeah, and that dovetails perfectly into the final little bit in the, the media's terrible when talking about coronavirus news, which is that Miranda Devine, uh, usually we don't talk about Miranda Devine, but this is like the Daily Telegraph more generally, published this headline and article, um, Why Are They Silencing a Miracle Coronavirus <laughs> Cure? Which, oh my lord. So the there's a drug, ivermectin. That if you put it in a test tube with the virus, it slows the spread oh, well, of the there virus. There we go. Why Great. aren't we all taking it right now? Done. Done. Pandemic <laughs> solved. The reason that we're not taking it right now is because a person, it turns out, here's the other discovery <laughs> from this study, is not a test tube. <laughs> <laughs> and for it to be effective in a person instead of a test tube, you'd need to give that person thousands of times the maximum ivermectin dosage. That's not possible. Why are they silencing the miracle coronavirus cure? Well, the answer is it's not a miracle coronavirus cure, obviously. It's a louse cure. It's for lice and ringworm, not for <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> like, yeah. I Fuck, is it? It's, it's not a miracle cure. How cool would it be if, like, humans were like a test tube, though? Like, you could, like, eat a Mentos and then drink, like, a Diet Coke and just immediately spew foam. <laughs> <laughs> At the risk of being sort of maybe too nerdy on this podcast topologically speaking a, a person is more of a donut than a <laughs> <laughs> the thing the thing that i want to know about this is first off who is the they in that headline and what is how can you claim anything's being silenced about anything when you're publishing that at one of the biggest newspaper and news outlets in the country? It's just the right it's such wing. such shit every it's time. It's the right yeah. wing ability yeah. to like, always say yeah. they is like the Why? scare title. Yeah. Why are they silencing a miracle yeah. coronavirus cure, asks one of the biggest <laughs> fucking publications in the country. But also this like, we, we would not in any way be silencing a miracle cure for coronavirus every single right-wing government is pushing their workers to go to work as quick as possible if there was a miracle cure for this they would be slipping it into our drinks before they silenced and covered it up they do not (laughs) want this virus in any single way i mean unless unless you think that you know they want to lock down the government to to get rid of all the kids in the tunnels because i'm just i'm blackpilled now thanks to cam smith on last week's episode (laughs) but it's like this 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 idea that the capitalists don't want the workers back at work what are you fucking talking about that's monstrous unless unless you think that what the capitalists want to do is send their workers to work where they will also die which i'm not convinced isn't the goal (laughs) The, the thing that gets me is the the fact that, like, it's posed as a question, why are they silencing the cure? That 
when I saw this, I did one second of research and I was like, <laughs> oh, that's why. There's a really, really obvious answer. But there's a whole fucking column. Why? Why could they? I didn't check. That's the that's the contents of the column. I just published this thing that's basically fear-mongering <laughs> that is just going to undermine the public health response. Like, how is this allowed? The article was also pretty funny because it's like, oh, why are they silencing it? And a lot of it is interviewing this scientist who is a gastroenterologist who, again, this is a drug for, like, worms. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, look, it, it, why isn't this better known, blah, blah, blah. But in the article, it also points out that there's, like, a bunch of clinical trials going on with it in combination with other drugs. And, like, it's like it's not being silenced. They're fucking checking if it works. You, you <laughs> yeah, Come on. Like, why, why is it? Did you read the article you wrote? <laughs> if you read your own article, yeah, why is this being silenced? And by that I mean, why haven't we heard about it? Look, credit to Miranda. She's had, if you can give credit for this, um, <laughs> she's had like well over a decade, nearly two decades, I think, in, in experience in making this kind of scare headline and column and has not been stopped in her current role so far. In fact, not only has she not been stopped, she is the epitome of failing upwards in this country. <laughs> like, okay, this makes me laugh so much whenever Miranda Devine comes up and has some dumb take. She always refers to like the rich elites in like in America and Australia and that sort of thing. She's on succumbing to New York. She's in New York right now in Manhattan in an apartment and she's talking about the rich elites. It fucking rules. Is- like, oh, man, imagine being so stupid and getting put on succumbing at your job to New York. Like, Imagine fucking-, fucking living in New York and publicizing a thing in Australia that undermines the health response to COVID. You're at the fucking like, <laughs> plague you- epicenter. Surely you saw how bad it can. Oh, my God. It's so good. That's the thing. I'm, 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 I'm just sort of like generally used to Amanda Devine and the the other sort of ghouls of this sort of country's media. Just like I, I forgot the word for it. Public, pub, publish. I just wanted to say posting because I'm just so <laughs> online. But anyway, like Miranda Devine, all these other ghouls just posting this like really harmful shit. But I, I, I had this sort of new feeling seeing this one where I was like, man, they're really just doing like the. Let's kill people thing, hey. Yeah. That's pretty bleak. It's just like, we don't care about deaths. Yeah. That Miranda Devine needs to be stopped. And and that, I'm just saying, like, hey, if there's any sort of editors, I'm saying don't publish her. That's it. But she needs to be stopped by any means necessary. Don't publish her. That's all I'm saying. Any means. (laughs) (laughs) Any any means at your disposal legally. Yeah. She needs to be disposed of by any means. Not disposed of, sorry. At your (laughs) your disposal. (laughs) Well, you know, either way. (laughs) As well as the coronavirus uh, catastrophe, we're also having a climate apocalypse ongoing and Uh. also an economic one. And, you know, it, it... it occurs to me that maybe we could like solve some of these problems together. Hmm. For example, uh, there's some studies coming out that said that we could get 90% of our energy from renewables by 2035, and that if we did that, it would create about 400,000 new jobs and massively increase gross domestic product. Sounds good. And it just seems like th- there's so many plans already developed for this. I I think this was in the news just recently because there's a report come out from an organization called Alpha Beta that shows that we could create uh, 76,000 jobs in three years for $22 billion, which is, like, very cost-efficient. But also, like, you know, we're in the middle of this corona economic hole, and we could be spending money that will not only, like, help us get through this, but actually transform our country into, like, a better place and like maybe stop the world from dying in a fiery hellhole and this isn't like random lefties calling for it like the the greens are but also the australian energy market operator who's like the part of the government that runs the electricity system um and the australian industry group well-known lefty communists (laughs) (laughs) that's what's always getting me about this sort of stuff is that for the last like 15 years it's been hard lefty groups being like we've got to nationalize the the energy grid and bring about communism and save the world but recently yeah it's been like blackrock have stopped investing in fossil fuels. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the Australian Industry Group, who are just rabid... I, I reckon in the next month we'll see the Australian Mineral Councils. The Australian Mineral Council will just be like, oh, what if we just get into solar panels and wind farms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the IPA reported climate action now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that like anyone who's not 
a hardcore like pro coal ideologue realizes that dealing with the climate emergency is actually going to be really fucking good for the economy if we do it soon right this is a sunrise industry renewable energy and like you know these reports have come out about stuff like green steel you know using uh, which would help keep coal mining jobs because you can use coal to create steel but with no emissions and like hydrogen export is one that's uh, really uh, is talked about a lot you know australia could be making a shitload of money exporting renewable hydrogen made from sunlight um and it could be <laughs> using workers from uh, i know that sounds silly it's, but it's literally no, but what it is it's just so <laughs> utopian we could export hydrogen for no u- for, for no emissions and it's created by sunlight and then there's people in the mineral council being like no shut it down <laughs> like fuck shut what? it down that's just that they're looking at Australia and they're like, all right, so what kind of energy should we be investing in? It's a giant flat surface that's constantly baked by the sun. Mm, gas? It's probably gas. What yeah, I yeah. understand is why did why is it taken up until now for them to think that it's you know financially feasible? Is the scales just tipped in terms of the cost of actually producing it um, now is much more viable? Two things, mm. I reckon. One is that fossil fuel as an industry is collapsing. The prices are plummeting over and over and over. Mm. We've got heaps of links in all of our show notes about this. But the one of the worst things for me is the second point that Noon, you touched on just then, was that there is something ideological about some of these people, which is yeah. wild because it's just a form of energy and it's just a type of industry. But there are people who are... Yeah ideologically committed to fossil fuels as if it's like we've seen the western nations come out of poverty and into this utopian future with fossil fuels and so to turn our back on fossil fuels would be sacrosanct like you are yeah yeah, we don't want to betray coal if if it's ideological though like obviously there are people who are you know like blackrock who are going over from one side to the other do they just feel that the ideological stance of it now is not worth pushing back against I think that's part of it. I think it's partially ideological and, and largely financial, uh, which is to say that like fossil fuel investments have a really long lag time for paying back their initial investment. Yeah. I, I think partly it is ideological. Like Tony Abbott, I don't think he was personally making any money from coal mining. I mean, he probably had some investments or whatever, but like I think he was just a giant dickhead who <laughs> thought that, you know, coal yeah, was the basis Joe of Yeah, and Hockey, who all... thought, thought like, um, that windmills were really ugly. Like that's, that's right. a personal opinion oh, that yeah. you hold really deep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Those opinions are pretty extreme for the podcast, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that always makes me so sad because windmills are real pretty. They are. And- I yeah. Love yeah, I think the what we're seeing is like the sliding lines on the graph of like number go up and number go down where as it financially makes less sense, the people that are financially invested in coal are getting out of it. So we're seeing an over-representation of the last holdouts of the people of the ideologically. Ideologues. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense, yeah. Do you reckon yeah. it's the sort of the Nev Powers, or the, Nev Powers, the chairman of uh, one of the fossil fuel gas companies, I can't remember which one, and he's also on the COVID Recovery Commission mm. and he's constantly saying, oh, the way through COVID is burn more gas. Do, do you reckon there's some sort of thing going on where, like, Nev Power has spent his whole life making, you know, fossil fuel energy and sort of squashing out greeny protesters and, you know, <laughs> like, making sure that his industry is the one that runs roughshod over the ones that, that won't kill us and that sort of thing. And now he's looking out at the world and he's like, look, there are two possible realities. One, I'm right and gas is good. And the other one, I spent my whole life doing a thing that will destroy the world because I was wrong. And look, I'm just not going to consider that one because I'm pretty sure I'm a good person. And so gas has to, it has to be good. It has to be gas because otherwise I'm a bad person. And so it's gas is the future. I think there's definitely something not like evil. that going on. I used to work for Lock the Gate, which was doing sort of helping nice. landowners stop fracking companies coming on the land. Oh, nice. And so I spent a lot of time out in Gippsland in coal mining communities talking to people who, you know, They'd work in the same coal mine that their dad and granddad had, and now their like six-year-old son was excited to go and work in the mines. And so, (laughs) I mean, those those people aren't the ones running the companies, obviously. But I think uh, Joel Fitzgibbon, for example, his ideological commitment to it comes from all of these people that he represents, at least in theory, in Parliament, who have had generations and generations of a a connection to this industry and this. yeah, the, the way of living or whatever. And so I think that there is some personal, emotional relationships that people have with coal mining, but also, like, those people are often the easiest ones to get on board with renewable energy because they see the 
direct harmful effects it has. Like, from my point of view, as an inner-city soy cappuccino-drinking lefty, like, the problem with coal (laughs) is mostly that we're all going to die. But for coal miners, (laughs) it's like, oh, they breathe the dust in and die, like, 30 years earlier than they normally would, and so did their dad and Mm. granddad. And, like, sorry for my very gendered explanation of the coal industry. It's not really all men, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, so I I think there's, like, a few different angles on why why it's hard for people to imagine replacing it with renewables or whatever, but... Hmm. More female coal miners. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if there's like a propaganda angle that you can take there that's like a sort of, you know, that'll do pig uh, approach to coal where you're like, coal, it's beautiful. It's got it this far. Well done, coal. You can, you can. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) I think it's worth a shot. Yeah. I just don't know why. I mean, I I do. And I'm going to take up the mantle this decade. But like, just populist leftist rhetoric in this country seems really easy to do just point at everything new zealand's doing and go like they're not going to beat us <laughs> that's it that's all you have to do are you going to let new zealand beat australia and make us look like bloody laughing stocks no come on jump on the i don't know solar panel bandwagon or some shit like it's it's super easy to drum up like that type of nationalism and then yeah that's a really good example of just like yeah i could see the 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 sunset over the coal mine and there's like the huge big like cancerous hole in our indigenous australians like sacred sites and we go oh that'll Mm. that'll do pig and we've just sort of got to like hopefully transition to renewable stuff before like anyone goes hey that's still actually really fucked it's like yeah but those people won't vote for it and we trick them and then we get the renewables in and then we can go also coal's been bad the whole time (laughs) ha ha the image of like the elderly, like really, really old guy, coal work, like coal miner, like you get like just you know, some find a ninety-five year old, you put him in a miner's hat, give him a pickaxe, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I just wanna, I just wanna be able to retire. Give coal a break. <laughs> Let coal. Go. Do you remember the um, <laughs> AOC Green New Deal, um, the Green New Deal um, ad that she did for Bernie's campaign, which was like she did oh, like a, yeah. a message from the future. And in terms of like how they turn things around just in time mm. and all the all the jobs that came from it. Like we need something similar to that sort of campaign here in terms of getting new jobs and like a, a green guarantee. Uh, just like the mm. aspirational aspect of like, you know, uh, it, it kind of can factor in the thing that you said in giving coal a rest. It's like, well, we have all these new things that we can get in and we can retrain everyone so- and it'd be a better future. And like this is what our future could look like. I think one of the most disappointing things about the climate emergency in Australia is that the Labor Party could, there's so many policies like ready to roll out right? that they could adopt literally today and in one single swoop basically completely destroy the Greens, uh, which, you know, again, I'm not like trying to be pro-Labor and anti-Greens or whatever, but like from the Labor point of view, like they're a big threat. It's so easy If they do. had good climate policy, 90% of the Greens voters would switch to Labor. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like th- it's one of the explicit goals of this podcast is like <laughs> we're not political; we just want climate action, and people have politicized climate action. So yeah, now we're that's political. Right. Yeah, this is this is what I was going to say is that there are already like those material things that could be done. They, we're just lacking political will. There is just there is yeah. there is no political drive in this country from bottom uh, bottom up or top down to actually try to promote these things in a politically viable sense. Um, like the, the, the Beyond Zero Emissions have um, collated a whole bunch of different plans that they could roll out for different policy suites, like you just mentioned. We like it's it, The Green New yep. Deal in this country would be incredible. We are a huge, big, flat surface baking in fucking sunlight. But the, for some <laughs> reason, the Labor Party are just going, yeah, but what about votes? Ooh. Yeah. It's not even what about votes. It's the the the, the faction problem within the Labor Party. Mm, like this is the, mm. the thing that Joel Fitzgibbon said in his interview on Sky News a couple of weeks ago was if Albo gets weak in his support for fossil fuels, he has the numbers to roll him. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, oh, you like being an MP, don't you? So keep paying lip service to the old coal because uh, it's good. It's actually if- funny, um, Tom, that you brought up like the reasons why we started this podcast in the first place, which is that climate change and climate action has now become so political. It speaks to how much it's been politicized and like, you know, infected with ideology in this country. Um a couple of years ago, when I was in America, we took like a train trip across from California to Chicago and just going through California on the train and just seeing wind mm. farms everywhere. It's just like it's a normal, like accepted part of like the energy plan in the US to have lots of wind power and solar power. And 
that's just not a thing here. Like people just lose their fucking shit at just like one windmill in their backyard. Yeah, even fucking Bob Brown had a problem with wind farms at a certain point. Talking about <laughs> yeah. like Bob Brown, the old leader of the Greens who campaigned tirelessly against Ardani and all the different other things, also said, oh, but we can't have wind farms near my place. It'll ruin the scenery and the birds and stuff. <laughs> fucking Look, I'm just putting a, putting a signal out to any wind farm developers. I don't think that there's a lot of wind in the courtyard of my apartment building, but build one anyway. I want it. <laughs> yeah, I want one of those little like I'd spiral like ones you can put on the top of your house. Come on. Yeah, those ones are cool. Yeah, windmill. <laughs> um, if you'll excuse me, spruiking my show, Ozpol's Snack Pod. Um, we did an episode <laughs> uh, a couple months ago called Climate Cookies. Uh, it's called Snack Pod because we do one bad food pun each week. So climate cookies, um, and I I do a like deep dive into all of the different things that we could be doing to get over a um the the climate emergency um and i we don't have time to go into it a whole lot here but like switching the entire car fleet over to non-petrol based uh so like batteries which can then be used as house batteries instead of buying them from elon musk or whatever (laughs) um and like paying people to grow vast (laughs) fields of hemp and then uh pyrolyze it into charcoal and then bury it which is like the best form of carbon capture and storage from the atmosphere that we have is hemp is that another thing that weed can do? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so hemp is one of the fastest growing plants. So hemp and bamboo Fucking are the hell. two that are, like, really good for carbon capture and storage. Also, uh, like, hemp was, like, illegal to um, technically, Ill- um, not illegal, but illicit to sell in Australia up until, like, a couple of years ago. Like, hemp mm. products, at least. I am going to say that I do have the, the spectre of Tom Lang in my ear just yelling, any carbon capture storage program is bullshit. Um yeah, I sorry. I, I mean, it's, it's not really carbon no. capture and storage. I call it that um, somewhat facetiously. It's it's really drawdown. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I think, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Lang's whole thing is always just give everyone solar panels. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's right. I mean, like, we wouldn't need to do carbon capture and storage or drawdown if we were not constantly pumping out poison that's going to kill us all. <laughs> So on the other side of the coin of what we were just talking about in terms of all of the great, fantastic renewable industries that we could be making to save us from climate change, we also have to compete with the class war currently taking place where, um, I suppose from an economic point of view, we have problems trying to get those industries up and running. Um, I've got a We've got a bunch of different stories here that we will sort of wrap up into the meta point that Noon and I are salivating about getting to about the intersection with climate change and Marxism. But there's essentially, essentially, <laughs> every listener is wrapped right now. Just, oh my gosh! <laughs> Did someone say intersection? Es- Marxism. <laughs> essentially, we have a climate emergency that needs to be fixed by changing our energy infrastructure from fossil fuel to renewable. That requires workers. We also have a terrible, horrible recession where there's heaps of people out of work. And to most Mm. people, I think the solution would be self-evident. It's let's take some of those unemployed people and get them to change the energy infrastructure. But instead, we have the horrible vampire-like creatures that run global capitalism (laughs) just going, what if you just died slowly instead? We've got just two people in adjacent buildings, one being like, I've got all these plugs. I don't know what to do with these plugs. And the next door neighbor being like, I'm overrun with sockets. I have so many sockets. I don't know what to do. And they're both just sitting on the front step. Just fuck. We got two big problems. And the government solution is like, uh, why didn't you both put your thumbs in the, in the <laughs> like that's, that's really what the government's response to the economic issue is. We've sold it. Everyone. We're moving all the plugs and all the sockets into landfill. <laughs> the, yeah. The government solution is let's liquidate both companies and extract what little capital we can and then throw out all the plugs and sockets. <laughs> so this is Bain Capital's bought out the plugs and sockets <laughs> warehouses. It's all sold. So you may remember a little while ago when uh, coronavirus hit. I don't know if you heard about that. It's been in the news. But um, airlines were obviously the first companies to just get hit super hard with this. No one's flying anywhere, especially overseas. Virgin Australia went under. And there was calls for a little while. The Queensland government were like, hey, we should buy Virgin Australia. We should have a national asset in the airline industry again. That will eventually make us money. And the wet-lipped mixed netball creep Josh Frydenberg, who's also our treasurer <laughs> for some reason, he was like, you can't do it. They're not ANSET. You can't just buy it. You've got to let the free market do its thing. The free market is all 
always the best thing. The invisible hand will guide it to safety. And what the invisible hand of the free market did was uh, get Virgin Australia sold to Bain Capital, who have now just gotten rid of Tiger Air. So cheap airfares are gone and they are about to fire 3,000 people during an international pandemic. But when people get made redundant by Virgin, don't forget that they get a portrait of Richard Branson when they leave. That is the most... Makes it all worthwhile. The most late capitalism (laughs) bullshit is that 3,000 people are getting laid off and they got a signed fucking picture of Richard Branson being like, so long and thanks for all the fish. (laughs) It's just like really like rubbing salt into the wound as well. Like, here's your portrait and you're going to have to buy your own darts. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) Josh Frydenberg also said... Uh, he said the government is not going to bail out five large foreign shareholders with deep pockets who together own 90% of this airline. But I think this really like goes to the point that you were just making that like, that's not what the issue is. Right. The issue isn't trying to help the shareholders. It's to keep a vital service functioning and to keep 3000 people working. And then like, Maybe in another year or two when the coronavirus is dealt with, maybe people might be able to fly somewhere occasionally. This is the thing. Like, this is the bait and switch that he pulled. He 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 yeah. deliberately didn't mention the fact that if the Queensland government fucking buys Virgin Airlines, there's not going to be shareholders. Like, it's not a bailout, mm, mate. That's a good point. We're not going to yep. bail out the airline. We're going to fucking own it. And yep. he's just deliberately sidestepped that point in order to make his argument out of nothing, out of thin air. No one was talking about a bailout whatsoever. It's it's bullshit. Frydenberg is... <laughs> no, I can't do it. I'm pretty sure you can still get arrested for Maoism. <laughs> <laughs> Frydenberg's little line there where he says, like, oh, you know, we're not going to... There's no public ownership of Virgin. They're not Ansett. Like, what What does that mean? You're yeah. just saying they're not Ansett. Like, if you're talking about public ownership of Virgin, the line is, they're not Ansett yet. Yet. And mm, then when mm. we buy them, they will be. Now they are. The only difference is one was publicly. The, I- the like, idea that, that public assets just sort of grow out of like productive soil. Like, ooh, here, this totally. this airline has come across. We should probably buy it before a private company does. Like, no. What the fuck are you talking about? The infrastructure is right there. I mean, that coherent like line of argument always comes from someone who doesn't value public property anyway, other than anything that is something to be looted at the first opportunity. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. The other, the other uh, big point that I wanted to hit was this one. This one is genuinely fucking evil in my mind. Um, but there is reporting in the Guardian that suggests that uh, without seasonal fruit pickers, the underpaid overseas visitors and immigrants to this country, uh, Australia might have a food shortage come this summer. Now, for anyone that didn't know, Jesus. Australia, I think, is either third or fourth biggest producer of its own food. We just export a lot of it. But we are a, a bread bowl nation. We have plenty of food being produced, plenty of land to have food. But we, because of coronavirus, we don't have these um, uh, people coming over on work visas and like Im- immigrants coming to this country and holidays picking our fruit. Now, I also, think, you may not know. I think it's also important to give context to um, perhaps even international listeners to this podcast that it's really common for people to come to Australia um, on holiday visas or 451 um, work, like partial work visas. Um, and to go uh, into the country and pick fruit. Yeah, I don't. And pick vegetables. They get paid fucking nothing, and they nothing. are they are the support scam. network of this country. There was some in- investigative journalism in the age where they found people were like living in slave conditions yep. and like being forced to sleep in like ten people in a room with no beds and shit. Like it, it is brutal. Uh, farmers often charge them for rent and living on the farms as well, and just like mm, a really mm. high rate. It's really fucked up. Yeah, so on the on one end of the spectrum in the illegal stuff, there are farmers that have been found um, stealing the passports and visas from uh, people, um, meaning that they just essentially have uh, to work and, and continue to work on those farms. But then all the way over, so we're saying the- farmers. Enslaving workers. Yeah, 100%. It's basically kidnapping. That is, yeah. that is, that is yeah. kidnapping. <laughs> Someone I know who used to work on the farms, um, like, like who was a traveller, uh, they called it, it was like really, they called it wake and fright level shit, just like really wow. horror stories. Yeah. But that Jeez. on the other end of the spectrum, even the best case scenario where these workers are protected, they are underpaid severely. They undertake mm. backbreaking and essential labour to pr- essentially feed this nation. And so now we have a shortage of those workers. So on one hand, we have a labor shortage on the fruit picking sector. And we also have close to a million now, more than a million. We have at least 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Australians unemployed. Now, these unemployed people might be facing a food shortage because there's not enough workers in fruit picking. So what is the solution to this, you might be asking? Well, it's to bring in fruit pickers from Vanuatu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are importing the- workers from Vanuatu so we can continue to exploit people in this fucking nation. That's how craven we are. Uh. As someone who was systemically underpaid for like a good six years working at various cafes in Brunswick, I don't know if it's such like I mean they could probably do it. Uh, like I think there would be hipsters who would be more than happy to go pick fruit for a couple months at in you know illegally underpaid conditions. We've said but, um, we've said before yeah. on this podcast that like if the conditions are good and the pay or the compensation is adequate enough, most of us would go do manual labor for social yeah. infrastructure and services. I would fucking happily do it. My, my, one of yeah. my- I like fruit trees. <laughs> I would hug everyone. I'd say thank you. Um, <laughs> it is, it is one, of those, one of those situations where like, I genuinely think most jobs are pretty useless and we could at least get down to four days a week. Mm. Why not have four or three day yeah. working week and then one day of non-violent national service like you just help lay some concrete for a hospital or footpath. You help fill in roads, like pick fruit, blah blah blah. Um, but I'm sorry, that's sounding a bit like communism. Uh, fixing problems. Oh. I think that's communism. <laughs> oh. oh no. Um, but no. Instead, what we're doing is we are importing what can amount to slave labor in this fucking country instead of putting our um, out of work people into work. Um, and the Navy does the same thing as well. They bring in uh, underpaid Filipino workers. And um, this, this is what happens in uh, the Navy. This happens in the um, private cruise ship sector as well, is that if you are hired by a company based in wherever, like I say, Australia, but your minimum wage in Papua New Guinea or Indonesia or uh, the Philippines is much, much lower, they will pay you at that rate in Australian dollars, mm. but they will still pay you at the rate from your country of origin as opposed to the country you're working for, which is... Criminal, essentially. That is, that if not criminal, because it's not legally or it's not technically, it, it's sufficiently legal. It's morally bankrupt. Absolutely morally yeah. bankrupt. I'd never heard this about the Navy, but it doesn't surprise me because, like, uh, a lot of modern slavery is on ships because they're, like, not really uh, subject to any law. And so, like, yeah, a huge amount of, like, fishing vessels and stuff are just, like, yeah, literal slaves with armed guards. And, like, I guess I would have higher hopes from the Australian Navy, but. Apparently that was misplaced. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Australian Defence Force. Listen to our episode the other day about the Australian Defence Force flying Nazi uh, flags and. Uh, oh yeah. Oh god, that's a depressing story. So, Jeez. so this is support the truth. <laughs> Which ones? The, the German ones from the forties, or? <laughs> so this is this is my main piece and. Uh, Oh, we should have mentioned up top, this is going to be a four and a half hour episode as me and Noon dive into the theory um, behind it all. <laughs> all right, guys, I'm out. See you later. Bye. <laughs> this is this is my passion project. This is my bugbear and all of it as well. But I will just say now that the Reserve Bank of Australia agrees with what I am saying. Yeah. But in terms of this recession that we're currently facing, the only thing that can create value is work. What creates yeah. wealth what creates value is someone laboring at something. If you have money or you have capital, like a factory or, 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 or wages, whatever, and you just sit them there, nothing fucking happens. They do not create any wealth or value. You have to add labor to things to increase the, to increase the wealth of the nation. If you have a private organization, the worker works, they create value, the value goes to the private corporation. If the government owns that company then any of the surplus value created by workers goes to the fucking government. So you can have the government buy something like, I don't know, Virgin Australia or the the the, the energy grid, and you can get taxpayer money. Or the fruit farms. The fruit farms. And you can get all of that taxpayer money and you can give it to workers and go, please pick the fruit. And they go and add their labor to that land and they create value. They create wealth. And that wealth goes back to the government. And then the government has more money to go, oh, shit, we've got these other things we can do. Now let's hire some more workers to do the next thing. And they start working and they create value and wealth. And that goes back to the government. They hire more people. And the best part about all of this is that the secondary outcome to all that is that we also have important infrastructure being fucking built. This isn't just digging holes and filling them in. We have fruit then. We have a fucking renewable energy grid that powers the fucking nation. And we also get ourselves out of a recession.
I think it was also last week someone was floating the idea of like paying welfare to people for walking. <laughs> we covered uh, that. Instead of like work oh, for the yeah, doll. We did. <laughs> That's right, oh. you did, yeah. It, it was walk for, walk the, doll. for the doll. And like <laughs> it it just goes to show how badly conservatives understand the idea of labor or money right. that like wh- why not get people doing something somewhat productive you know like don't stop using welfare to punish people and start using it to somehow improve our country in some of the many hundreds of ways that we're deeply deficient and like destroying people's lives constantly but this is the thing i was saying before where they see like welfare or any national good as something that's ultimately pointless and worth looting so in the same way that if you want welfare you should see any sort of measure to get it as punitive Mm. yeah it's this it's uh, this is again what we were talking about very early on is that there is an ideological bent to some people that in the same way they look at coal as the great savior they look at capitalism as the great savior there is we we Mm. can't possibly nationalize stuff because the lie that we've been told over and over and over which is very quickly breaking down as we say it's not true is that the free market is the most efficient way to get things done and it just it just isn't in a lot of situations we don't want jails to be for profit we don't want the energy grid to be for profit we like and th- that's not to say that you know there can be some issues with government bureaucracy or sometimes they can be inefficient but if you're not a you're not a for profit industry then don't worry about being run for profit efficiently that's th- that that's that's absurd that doesn't that doesn't make any sense um I mean, look, I just, I just want to hit the three main points that back up my ranting so you don't think I'm just an unfounded communist. <laughs> is that the, the, the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia, Philip Lowe, has recently come out and said that the government should, quote, borrow now while interest rates are at historic lows to pay for the job creation needed to combat soaring unemployment. That was quoted from, from The Guardian. Like, th- even someone like him, who I'm gonna guess is not a socialist, is still like, oh, yeah. look, workers, workers, <laughs> workers create create value. There's also an anecdotal piece of historical evidence, which is still debated over quite a bit by economists, but until economists recognize and publicly announce that they are closer to an arts degree than a science degree, they should shut the fuck up. But we had a depression at one point, <laughs> and we yeah. got out of it. The depression was the Great Depression, and one of the main reasons floated for why we got out of it is because of how many industries were nationalized to pay for the war effort. Now you can go, well, the war effort, well, that's going, we're not in wartime. We're not going to be needing to build bullets and melt down statues for whatnot. But I would argue that the climate catastrophe that is coming up will require a war-like response to it. And we also got to melt down a lot of statues, am I right, comrades? Yeah. If we, if we want to deal with it before it's too late, it definitely will. Yeah. So, so we've got that as well. The other point is that some economists are actually good. Don't, don't, don't put them all against the wall, is that MMT, modern monetary theory, is essentially <laughs> saying the same thing. It, it's saying it with more nuance. It's saying that the government can't go above inflation, blah, 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 blah. We've got some notes uh, in, in the show notes if you want to have a look at how that actually works. But it is essentially- Also listen to the Snackpot episode about it 100%. from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, many munchable treats. There you go. Um- <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. We were talking in the show notes about, I wanted to name this um, episode Wet Ass Politics, and then uh, Lang. <laughs> Lang had an absolute fucking blinder of a joke where he's like, <laughs> Scott Morrison be like, the only WAP I want to talk about is the white Australian policy. Anyway, <laughs> 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 fucking, I love Lang so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it is absurd to me that we are barreling down the face of legitimate catastrophe and possible apocalypse all because people are going, ooh, Cold War was nasty and capitalism's pretty good. Yeah, oh, you can't give poor people free money, though. Something you mentioned made me think of one of my favourite memes from recent years, which is people going into conservative groups and posting photos of uh, AOC with quotes from Adam Smith. Um, and uh, for listeners who don't know, Adam Smith is like a very famous capitalist hard-on icon. But like, he also supported the labour theory of value, which Marx then developed, and like a bunch of other stuff like fuck land. Lords basically was a, a big point that Adam Smith was big on, and so people go into yeah conservative groups and post photos of Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, <laughs> but with quotes being like, "Oh, the landlords are just extracting surplus labor value from the workers," blah blah blah, and they're like, "Oh, this bloody communist!" <laughs> but like even like the the grandfather of like capitalist economic policy 
is like, yeah, fuck landlords, uh, fuck rent seekers, workers create all value. And like Marx, I think, <laughs> for all that he was clearly opposed to it, had a really like dark admiration for capitalism. Like he saw it as very powerful and dynamic and as uh, exploiting workers much more quickly and efficiently than previous systems had. Yeah. And that he thought that like socialism and communism would grow out of capitalism because it would develop all of the infrastructure that we need for like a socialist utopia like hmm maybe like free power generation that comes from the sun just for example um or like <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know so i think you're right that like when we see people like philip lowe calling for the government to borrow and spend to like help workers i think we should remember that like yeah there's shit that we can do under capitalism within the bounds of capitalism that's still going to like fix our society and help our workers <laughs> get, get off the pot get up. not welcome <laughs> <laughs> i like the i like the line about the dark admiration of capitalism that's basically how i feel as a socialist myself it's like damn you guys got this to work and managed to profit off it somehow good get but um, <laughs> like it, it's still like it is darkly fascinating to me in a way to see how close towards catastrophe people are willing to push it like mm. even just mm. job like for, just in Australia alone just the idea of Scott Morrison saying oh yeah but job seeker and job keeper are going to end at some point and we're not even close to coronavirus or the the recession being over or even not even started yet and they're still willing to say, actually, we're still going to take it away from you yeah. in like a month or so. And this is just a smaller sort of microcosm compared to what's happening in the US, of course, where no one's getting mm. any welfare and everyone's going to mm. be off unemployment Oof. in the next month and they're going to fall off a cliff. Yeah, really, it's it's still quite fascinating to see that they're really willing to push it right to the yeah. end. I think there is mm. there is something to like you know Adam Smith had the proofs for this. Uh, my boy Henry George had the um the, the <laughs> idea of that as well. Who's Henry George? Um, Henry George is a guy that wrote Progress and Poverty, which is essentially um he he has some ideas about essentially a, a single tax on land, which I don't agree with. I think we should be taxing a whole bunch. But yeah, yeah, I've heard that policy. But yeah. he he really George oh, yeah. uh, Georgianism Georgism geo. Geonism. There's there's a lot of different names for it, but it's essentially pointing out that the landlord is the weak link. The landlord is in large part, if not all part, the responsible for recessions and depressions. And a big part of Marxist theory can jump off the socialist theory can jump off the back of that, saying, "Well, let's get rid of landlords." Um, but that, this is a thing. We, I mean, we were talking a little bit about this in the um in the doc this week before we uh started recording. But they are willing to push it as far as they can. But they aren't ignorant to how things actually work. Like one of the things we were talking about mm. in the doc was if you want to know how the world is actually working at the moment and if you want some pretty incisive and clear um, reporting on politics, especially from the right wing, you've got to read the Financial Times and Australian Financial Review and stuff because they're more concerned with how money is flowing and political ramifications for things. And they're a little less politically ideological. They're more sort of economically ideological. But mm. Scott Morrison, or people advising him at least, understood that we could not have no welfare support coming into this. And they also understood that mm. going into billions in debt isn't going to ruin the economy overnight. It's going to ruin your political messaging because you were talking about how you're going to get the debt down. But the debt's not real. It doesn't really matter. You can actually do these certain things. So they are trying to push it as far as they can get because they fucking know what they can do with it. They know that they can cede little bits of ground. And so long as they don't tell us why they're doing it, then they can continue to pretend like this isn't actually the solution. It's been very funny slash extremely depressing and concerning <laughs> um, to watch the federal Australian government like wildly bounce between, oh God, we need to do something and oh God, my like economic Bible says that we're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> yeah. And like, just like on literally every single level, like, uh, I don't know, having a decent aged care system or like, paying for ch child care or whatever like or or you know even like raising new start or, or job seeker or whatever it's called now that like they raised it to significantly or, or the bonus they gave out significantly less than the one that kevin rudd gave out um because they're like they can't even make themselves do s fixing the economy well even though that's officially their number one priority I like to imagine the the boardroom of the of the Liberal Party as they are like you know throwing around ideas for how to fix the obviously very real, very present problems that the country is facing, and they come up with like a bunch of great solutions, and they're all up on a big whiteboard, and then they're like, okay, and second round, are any of these sort of a bit socialist? And then they just strike those out immediately, <laughs> yeah. and they're left with just like, don't do anything, and 
call brown people evil and they're like, oh, which one do we do this time? <laughs> mm. <laughs> so this, this, this segues uh, nicely into something uh, that I want to touch on really quick uh, related to this um, is the other thing that's left up on the whiteboard is like punish poor people and those that are struggling and the oppressed. Um, yep. Because one thing that they have come up with is um, a new scheme for your hex debt. If you are going to uni anytime soon, uh, Education Minister Dan Tehan, who it needs to be noted, got his fucking degree for free. <laughs> he got his honours in arts, his masters of foreign affairs and trade, completely for fucking free, and then got into politics and then enacted this new um, new policy, which is if you fail half of your first eight courses at university, you are not eligible for uh, hex help, and it gets reduced, and you get a whole bunch of different like. Sanctions. It is. It is hard to emphasize just how evil right? just this proposal is. Yeah. Like, okay, as like like a lot of uni students in this country, I had a lot of trouble when I started uni. Like I started with a double degree like a fucking nerd. But I <laughs> struggled with the structure. I struggled I, and I was struggling with a lot of health issues at the time too. Mm. And there was a semester where I just flunked out of everything, just straight up failed. And I decided to, like, take a break from uni for a while. But the cost was, like, I obviously the cost of uni, I was bearing myself and, like, you know, led up to a massive hex debt in terms of, like, retaking subjects and what have you. And there's already, like, a punitive element when you do fail subjects at uni where the uni goes, hey, so what happened? Um, my uni was not particularly helpful at the time in terms of, trying to understand why I'd, I'd failed those subjects. And I can't really speak for unis now as to whether they're helpful in that respect. But so many uni, uni students go through that where they have to deal with their families or they have to deal mm. with their own mental health, their own physical health. Um, and just the idea of penalising them for the circumstances completely beyond their control is insane to it's me. fucked and it's 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 not going to fix anything it's not like the hex debt is a you know massive burden on this country that's dragging everything down Edu mm. education even though it's been uh like there's been um like reduced outcomes because everyone's you know getting more and more degrees like if you are educated you bring more back in taxes to the government overall doesn't matter what sort of degree you get either it can be a fucking philosophy degree haha -ha, who would do that it's like thanks yeah it, <laughs> like it, it is still good for the nation to have a whole bunch of educated people and what this does is it it sticks the knife into people who are already at risk of struggling and failing anyway mm. and not getting out but it also props up the huge fail sun industry that we have in this fucking nation where just <laughs> if you're if you're rich and you're you're you know your big idiot wet-lipped father can help you fucking you know get cruise through university as just a like a connection making exercise where you make a whole bunch of friends to you know get into bain capital to get back into politics later and help them out <laughs> that is still supported that that like yeah. Dan Tian's not talking about like cutting any of the overfunding to the private schools in this country at all. Like the the the, the public school sector is still getting underfunded. The private school sector is being, still being propped up. And their solution is well, what if also we get rid of some people at risk in their first? Cool, good one. Well done, Tian. You also I, I know this isn't really how education works, so I, I'm not sure this is a fair point. But I just think about it every single time I see the story is that like ah oh, people who pass assignments. They can get degrees. People who don't know the things yet, they don't get to learn, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe that's not a good point. But yeah, it it is a it is a good point. That is part of the issue. Is that if you like can't um, study, if you have mental health issues, if you have a family issue, or mm. yeah, or if you're I fucking failed an entire semester, and I also started in the wrong degree. I was doing a degree, and I'm like, oh, I, I think mm. I should be doing this, mm. and I transitioned into something that has now got me into fucking masters because I'm both good at it and I enjoy it. But the idea that I couldn't, I could have that opportunity closed to me forever because I went to a university that didn't offer the right type of thing, or I didn't have a good um, bureaucratic infrastructure to help me through university, yeah. is absolutely fucking horrible and and corrupt. I just realised it's doubling down on the whole idea that when you're 18, you make a decision about your life, mm. and that's it. Yep. Um, like that was yeah. that was something I genuinely thought when I was 18. I thought this is it. My UAI or the Enter score at the time that that dictates my entire life, and it's going to go from there. I don't get any second chances at this, and that's it's, it's just reinforcing that. It's like, well, if you fail out of uni, that's it for you. You're never going to finish it. Yeah, I, I think so. The way that this uh, policy is being framed is a way to support the student, because obviously, look, 
these people who are failing those subjects, they're dum-dums. They're never going to pass anyway. So let's make sure to kick them out before they accrue too much hex debt for their own good. That's the support that you're getting. It's mm, like, oh, mm. look, you, you, you would have accrued, let's see, an infinite hex debt because you would have been in uni forever, you little ignoramus, aren't you? Look at you. You failed half your fucking subjects, you dumbass. So let's, let's, let's get you gone. And so now you just have half a hex debt and also no degree. Fuck you. We're the government. The government, <laughs> yep. which is packed full of people that got their degrees for free. There is footage of Joe Hockey protesting at University of Sydney going, we will fight for our free degrees. <laughs> These fucking assholes got free educations and they just enjoy pulling the gate up behind them. They fucking love it. I, the 7am podcast yeah. did a fucking amazing show about this as well. We'll put the link to it in the fucking show notes. But these assholes do not like you. They do not like poor people. They are repulsed by you. They find you revolting. They have an ideological bent <laughs> against the university sector because it turns out when you have to work with people from a whole bunch of different cultures and backgrounds and everything else, you start to go a bit lefty. They fucking hate university and they want to keep people out of it as best they can. To them, university should be an exercise in rich people introducing their fail sons and daughters to each other to become the leaders of industry later on. They are ideologically opposed to people bettering themselves. They fucking hate you. Don't ever forget it. Subscribe to Snack Pod. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, throwback to the top of the show. This is exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, great nuanced point leading into an uh, expletive-laden rant. I'm, I'm very uh, here wonderful. for it. I love it. Last bit of class war. All right. Last bit of class war. Let's end on a good news story for this week. It's good news. Workers at a Mitre 10 warehouse went on strike. And it looks like the strike lasted two full hours before the company fucking caved into their demands. So good. <laughs> oh, it's mm. so good. Delicious. <laughs> I literally didn't hear about it until it was over. That's fantastic. Yeah, because it, it, it took nothing. They, it, there's just a few photos of everyone like, standing out in the parking lot being like, no, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not going to work in unsafe conditions. It was obviously a, a COVID uh, case um, made everybody very worried about their own well-being. Uh, they refused to work. Um, and basically two hours later after saying like, you know, no, you have to keep working. They were like, no, we don't. Turns out that if we stand together, we have the power and might attend. Yeah. lasted from like, you know, 9am to 11am. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, that warehouse is shut down. Everyone, you can go home with pay. Uh, we're not going to transmit stuff between sheds. Every worker gets their own equipment. We've got uh, representatives uh, to get involved in contact tracing, like just a, a slew of wins that took them 120 goddamn minutes. <laughs> I, like, I don't have a, a source. <laughs> for the actual time frame on that just looking at the timestamps on the tweets one was the workers at the warehouse are striking and then a little bit later just that same morning we won so <laughs> fucking love to see it so solidarity and congrats to those workers and also thank you because every time workers strike it's real scary it's a risk uh, but every time they do it and they win that benefits all workers so it's it's a service and yeah thanks shout out Something that I love to talk about on SnackPod is the way that really good direct action works on two levels. And the first is it both directly impacts the outcomes that they need. And then on the other hand, it pulls uh, levers for decision makers or like uh, affects the decision makers. So like the union, like they were like, we're not going into this fucking Corona infested workplace. And so like, straight up they're protecting those workers and then two hours later the decision makers at the top are also doing it so i just think that's really worth noticing whenever people do direct action just like it's, yeah, it's yeah. fixing the problem and it's changing people's minds yeah it's solidarity in ch in moving the overton window except for labor um, <laughs> smaller yeah it's just it's just the uh, the idea of you know making organizations and businesses realize that endangering their workers is not not only unprofitable but it also gives them bad press actions this week jumping straight off from that another way that all workers get helped out is by increasing the welfare of the unemployed. If unemployment isn't that scary, then getting fired isn't that much of a threat. So our favourite organisation in the world, uh, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, are uh, fundraising for an upcoming project. And so if you've got some spare cash laying around in your pocket, I know you all do. It's a pandemic and everyone's out of work and there's an economic crisis. So surely everyone's sitting on tons <laughs> of spare change. But if you are one of the lucky people who has, you know, stayed in work and, and has some money that, that, that they do have lying around... Uh, 
um, the uh, Australian Unemployed Workers Union. I, I actually don't know what the details are of this project, but they've been great and uh, they can always use the change. So, uh, yeah, we've got a link in the show notes to uh, a, a really good cause that you can put some money towards. Shoutouts this week. Um, I was raging about it just before and we've mentioned them a bunch, but the uh, 7am podcast do a whole bunch of really cool stories. Like I said, they've done a story about how the Liberal Party legitimately hates you. Um, they also did a story recently about people <laughs> taking the Australian government to court over climate change, which is really eye-opening, um, not least of all because it's already been happening overseas, people taking their governments to, to court, which is fantastic. Yeah, so it's check out the podcast. interesting to hear about another front that the battle is being fought on. And it was also nice to hear about how they're, they're not really like, oh, you know, like we're, we're suing them is the answer. They're like, this is a really long shot. But, you know, if you keep trying to sue them, one day you'll get the right judge at the right time and you'll win and then everybody wins. So, it, yeah, it's cool just to hear about pragmatic people taking, I guess, sort of unusual or non-straightforward ways to combat the climate crisis as well. Mm. Nice to see. And just a shout out to our good friend Tom Tanneke, uh, who we've had on the podcast before, and for his podcast, The Pork and Feed the Birds. Uh, he's just released an episode, which is a primer on Aussie QAnon, which you might find interesting, especially in light of our chat with Cam Smith last week. Yeah, awesome. I, I loved that episode, by the way. The interview about QAnon, it was really good. I loved it. I wish I was on for that episode, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Too many guests. <laughs> Uh, our final shout out for this week is, of course, to Ozpol Snackpod. Thanks so much for coming on, Noon. This has been great fun. Thanks so much for getting in touch. It was uh, lovely. I've been really uh, looking forward to it all week and uh, had a lot of fun. So thank you for having me. Yeah, this was rad, man. So you are the uh, co-host, one of two hosts of Ozpol Snackpod. Give us all the plugs. Give the give our listeners the plugs for Ozpol. Cool. Yeah. So we are a uh, weekly podcast where we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. Uh, we're also the official podcast of the OzPol shitposting Facebook group, so uh, you can go check that oh, out really? on Facebook slash group slash OzPol shitposting. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the <laughs> podcast grew out of OzPol shitposting. Originally, we wanted to be OzPol shitpod, um, but <laughs> iTunes doesn't let you have any swears. Um, but, but Zach, my co-host and best friend, uh, had already made the theme music, and so we had to like find another word that fit rhythmically with shit pod <laughs> but wasn't a swear so so snack pod uh, and that led to us uh, yeah making one kind of weak uh, food pun each episode if we remember <laughs> yeah um, but yes I will tell you that I'm always uh, having to veto uh, episode titles in the chat because they're too full of expletives uh, <laughs> yeah totally like, that's, that's gonna it's wreck a real our algorithm we can't call the budget cuts episode budget cuts <laughs> that, it doesn't work I still, like, yeah. I still regret that it's a real good that. gag but they're, they're, we're gonna get blocked <laughs> Well, the other thing is we have a segment each week called Shitpost of the Week, and we try and give it to, you know, a cool meme from the Shitposting Facebook group, but, you know, it goes to whoever. Uh, but we can't say Shitpost in our episode description, so we just have to be like, and a great meme this week, and all of the listeners know. <laughs> we do put swears in the description. I wonder if that's harming our algorithm. Oh, well. Yeah, maybe we should start doing it if you guys are getting away with it. That's great. <laughs> They'll never catch us. <laughs> That's, that's the final action for this week. Everybody swear more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Noon, thanks heaps for coming on, man. This was so much fun. It was so great to have a uh, another lefty podcast voice out there spreading all the uh, all the propaganda that's fit to print. One more step towards the United Australian Media Collective. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for your man. kind words. Thanks for coming on. This has been fun. Thank you all. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to Not Good Enough. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at notgoodpod at protonmail.com and on the socials at notgoodpod. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that are still continuing to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land.